Welcome to Destination CMO, a podcast about growth, business, and the power of marketing. With your host, Vincent Famvan, a three-time chief marketing officer, member of the Forbes Communication Council, and a 40 Under 40 award recipient. On this show, we invite our guests to share the most important stories happening today in business and tech told through the lens of a senior marketing leader. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Destination CMO. Today, our guest is Murph Kurowski. He's a marketing leader at Capacity. Murph's also an experienced CMO with a proven track record across the software space. He's had CMO titles at companies like Textile and Sharpen before his current role. And his focus is really on contact centers, customer experience, SaaS, and all things marketing. So Murph, so great to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Tell me about the intersections of all of the different areas that you've worked in. And how did you go into software as kind of a specialty? You know, so many different CMOs oftentimes work in consumer packaged goods, or some of right. us had roles in the SaaS space, whether it's D2C you know, B2B, but how did you find your calling? It's kind of a long and sordid tale that begins at youth ministry college. So my degree is in youth ministry and I quickly found that ministry, paid ministry was not my thing. Took an entry-level IT job at Interactive Intelligence in 2000, stayed there for 16 years where then I kind of worked my way over into marketing by way of video production and sort of learned my leadership skills from the ground up there, worked under some really great marketers. Tim Pashas is a really good mentor for me. Joe Staples is another one. And so, yeah, just kind of learned my way up through the marketing leadership there. And then I think it was right when I hit about creative director at Interactive Intelligence that I really discovered that it was a lot of fun for me to create through other people versus just my hands in Photoshop or Adobe After Effects or whatever. And so then from there, once I caught that passion for working through other people, then my hunger for knowing more about marketing in general and realizing that I kind of had that acumen, it just kind of developed. Went to Sharpen, became a CMO there, and then to Textel and now Capacity, I took the title bump down to VP, but it's whatever, it's the same thing. A lot of your roles have been software-focused, technology-focused, mm-hmm. you know, the current role that you're in. It's a company that incorporates artificial intelligence to be able Mm -hmm. to create better customer experiences. How do you define creativity and see like creativity folding into those roles? For somebody who might not work in the software space, you would think, well, this is like, it's just code. It's just software that you're selling. Like, how could that be innately creative? Yeah, for me, and this is kind of a surprising answer given my background with so much like media production and graphics and things, but I actually define creativity as problem solving within constraints. That's it. You can apply it to anything. And when you think about software development, there's not many professions that are more creative than software development. You're starting with a blank slate and an idea And you've got to get from point A to point B, and you've got a certain amount of resources and a certain amount of time to get there. And if you're doing a good job, then you're thinking about the future and the thing that you're building is going to be ready to scale or adapt or evolve over time. So for me, I like the software industry because it's always changing. It's always evolving. And I have a little bit of attention deficit, kind of an issue there where like I need new problems to solve. 
and I tend to, the thing that I tend to bring to my team is like a fountain of ideas. So I need new things to think about and I need new ideas to have and then hand those to somebody to help execute much better than I could. But that's why I just love the software space. Yeah, you know, in the software space, like there's always new features and new releases coming out mm -hmm. constantly, right? So there's always some mm -hmm. type of new messaging. It's not like the, the brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tart where the recipe has been exactly the same as it was in the 90s and definitely right. shouldn't change because the recipe is perfect. <laughs> it's perfect the way that it is. The only thing they should do is continue doing, they just announced a collaboration with Jenny's Ice Cream. So there's going to be a Pop-Tart brown cinnamon ice cream coming out from okay. Jenny's, which just sounds magical. But how do you take this creativity and how do you apply it to your leadership style? I tend to think about things in terms of what's the point on the horizon we're trying to hit? What's our goal? If you're trying to operate any kind of an enterprise without goals in mind, then you're really just setting yourself up for a waste of time, of resources, of energy, all of those things. So once you know the goal that you're trying to get to, and you obviously know the point where you're standing right now, you've got enough information to plot a course to get there. And then you define your constraints, right? Maybe it's budget, maybe it's people. So it's man hours or person hours. And as long as you stay inside those constraints, then you can make your way from point A to point B. It's a lot like football, right? You've got to get from wherever you are on the field to the end zone. You've got four downs to get at least 10 yards to get another shot at four down. So once you know the rules and you understand the constructs of the game, then you can create strategies and make plans to move the ball down the field. It's really not much different than that. And just, you know, kind of getting everybody on board with thinking in terms of what's our overall goal. Let's stay focused on that. Yes, problems are going to happen. Yes, we're going to get three steps into it and something unexpected is going to pop up. That's okay. We're all together in this thing. Like we can keep it moving forward. One thing that's different in this software marketing or the space where you're doing marketing for technology, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's the same across all of marketing. Messaging is messaging and great mm -hmm. storytelling is great storytelling. And whether you're selling something that's a tangible good or whether you're selling something that's a software solution, it's the great stories and that really move the needle. But one thing that is unique, though, is that marketing sometimes, oftentimes, isn't directly in the conversation that leads to the purchase because you also have a sales team that you're working with as well. What have you seen work well with the relationship across an entire revenue team versus like what happens when things go awry? Yeah, I've actually lived both scenarios. So Right now, I'm fortunate to say my boss, the CRO at Capacity, is our sales leader. And so he's my sales counterpart to my marketing effort. And I get off the calls with him all the time. And I'll like walk down the hall and say to my wife, I'm fully remote. So I'll walk down the hall and say to my wife, conversations with my boss are life-giving. I get off the phone with him. We spend 15 minutes at a time 14 minutes and 30 seconds, we're absolutely agreeing with each other. We're on the same page. What's the strategy? How do we get there? What do we need to drive to? So that alignment is fuel for a good marketing process. I've also lived the other side where there was just disconnects. Like I've always worked with good people, but I think if we get distracted and we focus not on working together to achieve one common goal, but if we stay focused on separate goals, that aren't necessarily baked together, that creates stress and chaos and those things kind of suck your life out of you. So really, I think for me, sales marketing alignment isn't just, it's not something you strive towards. It's if you don't have it, you're really not 
achieving either of your goals successfully or as successfully so get, as you could. So getting tactical, how do you go about aligning those KPIs across sales and marketing and the handoff between the two? Yeah. For me on the marketing side, I tie everything to revenue. So I think of every, in fact, I was just an hour ago, I was on with one of my data guys and he's got a dashboard set up where we're looking at a lead that comes in through the website. We know what page they started on. We follow them all the way through the process. We know how much that contract value is going to be worth as an opportunity. We know if we won it or lost it. And so we can say, when the first half of the year, we drove X number of opportunities through the website that put this much revenue in the pipeline and we won this much of it. So once you know that, your sales guys are on board because that's their metrics too. We're all just trying to put money in the bank. That's the ball in the end zone for the company, not just for marketing. I think if marketing is thinking in terms of like lead generation or I got you this name and I'm throwing it over the fence and good luck to you from there, that's not the job. You're not getting it done. If we're not putting money in the bank, then nobody's going to be around to debate who was right or who was wrong. I think uh, I completely agree with that. Like CMOs who can't articulate and don't have the data to be able to show how they're directly driving top line revenue growth. The days of being able to just measure lead quality, mm -hmm. it just isn't enough anymore. But the other piece too, is that so much of the selling now actually happens through people doing their own research. It used to be, you could have a simple website that went straight into a request a demo form but really now, you know, people want to be able to explore a site. They want to be able to look at the help center. They want to be able yep. to look at developer documentation for APIs. They want to be able to look at customer stories and testimonials. And so often now, increasingly in the past few years, people are coming onto the demos with a decent level of understanding of the solution, even mm -hmm. before they go through a demo. Yeah. You almost have to orient your sales motions around what problems are your prospects trying to solve, right? It's just mm -hmm. audience centric thinking. And if you're out there kind of hawking your wares and saying, here's who we are and here's what we do. And this is why we're great. I mean, that's all well and good, but somebody whose money that you want is trying to solve a problem and they're going to give their money to the person who helps them solve their problem. So it's the same product you're building. It's the same feature you're talking about, but you have to put it in their terms where if I'm going to help you keep your job, then I've earned your business. And I think it's a different posture. It doesn't require a, a huge fundamental shift organizationally. It's just a matter of making sure that you're thinking about your customer first in all things. How do you think about the difference between alignment and agreement? Because those are two distinctly different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're very different things. Typically, agreement is super easy to achieve because everybody, if you're in a meeting and you say, yeah, we should all put revenue in the bank. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody should put revenue in the bank. But then when you leave the meeting, I always say alignment happens in the trenches. It's not in the meetings. It's in those one-off conversations. It's in the, the working sessions. It's in the Google Docs. It's in like the nuts and bolts of getting the work done. And if you are not working cross-functionally with other parts of the company to get those goals done, then you might have agreement, but really if the work's not happening together, that's where you know if you've got alignment. And it's much more rewarding when you get to that point because then everyone's kind of come together. You've got, it's a very like Ted Lasso-y sort of feel. The teams come together, we're overcoming adversity, we're getting to the goal, we're seeing success. That to me is where the really rich stuff for business comes out.
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think when you see this operating well, like you don't just see it from a sales leader and a marketing leader, it actually like flows through the entire organization to the point where a marketing specialist, the person that runs the social media on your LinkedIn account, your Twitter Mm -hmm. account, your Facebook account to like the BDRs and SDRs are aligned and working cohesively as a team as well. I've talked to a lot of marketing leaders who they're seeing that like selling now really isn't even just the LinkedIn company page. It's happening through the sales team and what they're mm-hmm. posting on their personal pages, Yes, which like the traditional CMO gets really uncomfortable with that because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can't control it. Like, what are yeah. they going to put out? But when you're nailing what you're talking about with the alignment and the agreement, both teams are looking in the same direction. They're aligned around the messaging. They're aligned around the customer pain points. And they're aligned around what differentiates your solution from everybody else in your mm-hmm. same category that it does then end up being possible to be able to enable to empower individual salespeople to put out really great content because they're the ones that are connected with all these leads on LinkedIn. And so those leads they probably don't start following the company LinkedIn page yeah. until a, a bit later. If, That's correct. If, if they ever even do follow it. And so the place they're going to see it on their personal feed is through that salesperson's post. Well, and there's a secret to that too. There's a way through that dynamic to kind of get everybody ahead because the social media is a great example of it. I'm guilty of what I'm about to say. So I'm the chief of sinners going back to my ministry <laughs> degree. Everybody wants the benefits of social media, but not everybody wants to put in the work to get to the benefits of social media, Mm -hmm. right? You have to have a drumbeat cadence of what you're saying, how you're portraying yourself, all that. And I look at other guys, I'm a huge like imposter syndrome guy. So I'll look around and I'll be like, oh, that guy's so cool or he's so popular. He's got so many followers. Why can't I be like that? And then I don't post things on social media. So the same is true of sales teams. The algorithm favors personal pages over company pages. So the content that you put out through your sales teams is more impactful than the content that you're going to be able to put out from your company page anyways. And sales guys would love those leads to come through, but not everybody has time or feels comfortable or knows what to say or whatever. So if marketing teams can help create standardized posts and say, Here's what we're talking about. Take these talking points, put them in your own words, however you want to do that. That's a good way for marketing to support sales, to keep everybody on the same page, move the ball forward. Like there's ways to think through all of those weird channels. And I think that's alignment. It's getting in there and doing the work together and making sure that you're supporting the person on your left and on your right and not just your own to-do list. Yeah, there was a key word that you said there in terms of taking it and putting it in your own words. Mm-hmm. Because like the posts that typically would go out on a company page, if you were to take the exact same text, the exact same photo, and you publish it from an individual page, it's not going to perform well mm-hmm. because it looks like a company messaging. It doesn't look right. like an individual telling a story or an individual right. celebrating an accomplishment or an individual like thanking somebody else and actually mm-hmm. starting a conversation. And so you're right. The best posts that go out from individuals is, I think it's like some of the best examples are like a salesperson congratulating a client on winning a customer experience award by using your solution. It gets other people to chime in on the conversation, but like that is so much more powerful than the canned testimonial with the quote that you would typically see on like a press release where it just won't get the same 
level of engagement. And like the highest performance for performing marketing teams I've seen will even ghostwrite a few different examples like mm -hmm. from an individual person so that they're showing the sales team like, hey, here's a few different examples and different styles of how this could come to life. But it's coordinated enough that they're still going out in the same week. And so for somebody who is connected and you're commenting on each other's posts, one person might actually see that message three or four times because they might be connected to one person at your company, but mm -hmm. everybody else is going in and they're commenting on it and they yeah. like it so that it's getting that extra visibility. Right. When you take a look at, okay, we're going to align the revenue across marketing teams and sales teams. There are still upper funnel metrics that are more challenging for a marketing team to be able to measure. So at the end of the day, lead quality is still going to be lead quality and it's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. How do you pull that golden thread of that revenue alignment all the way through to each kind of stage of the funnel? Well, so here's how we did it a couple of weeks ago. We pulled a massive dump of data from Salesforce, from the website. I have a really smart data guy who kind of mashed those things together and built us a dashboard. And we just went through it and we looked at leads that come through. We do a lot of work with SEO and like power pages and trying to get them to rank and pull people to the website. So mm -hmm. we discovered that people who come through those particular set of pages, we call those our blog. People who come through the blog convert at X percent. And when they convert, they turn into an opportunity at X percent. And when they become an opportunity, they have an average contract value of X dollars. Then we also discovered that people who come through what we call our core website, our homepage, our pricing page, our product pages, industries, things like that in the main transactional site, they convert at X rate. They turn into opportunities at X rate. And when they are opportunities, they have an average dollar amount of Y. So we discovered that from that information, if we invested in the conversion rate of our core website, we could raise the conversion percentage by less than half of the amount we would have to raise the conversion percentage of our blog. And we would get to, I think the number we hit was 88 more leads either way. So let me get to the numbers. So in our core website, we were converting just under 2%. I was like, what happens if we get that up to the even two, we got another 88 leads. And I said, well, what do we need to do with our blog to get 88 more leads out of it? So we ran the numbers back. We would have to do twice as much work to get the same number of leads. Then we knew that the average contract value of a blog lead versus a core site lead was vastly different. And so the core site leads were much higher than the blog site. So at that point, it's a no brainer, right? Less work, more opportunity, more money in the bank. Go get that money first. Then go back yep. and do the other stuff too. But like, once you've got visibility and once you've got the data in your hands, it helps you. It makes the decision for you. And then you're just going and collecting the money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Some of the audience here is listening to this. Some of the audience is watching a video. Your website has a lot of the components of the modern SaaS website, mm -hmm. very clear call to actions, very clear headlines, not a lot of clutter. Would love if we could just share it on screen and you walk us through some of the best practices that you've found on what drives conversion rate. So I'm going to pull sure. this up. And when I see this, I'm going to describe for anybody listening. It's a clean white background colored mm -hmm. screen. And right up top, 
you can tell exactly what the call to action is. There's two buttons that really stand out. It's create an account and it's a request mm -hmm. a demo. So you're yep. giving somebody two different options, whether you wanted to just say self-service, jump straight into it, create an account and get started. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to learn more, you want to be able to ask questions, you want to be able to connect with the team, you have request a demo on the top. And mm -hmm. then the only other button that really stands out right away is, of course, your GDPR cookie friendly yep. banners. So I'll gotta go ahead and hit, gotta have it. So I'll go ahead and hit accept on that. But what else did the team work through as they were essentially designing the homepage and experimenting with driving conversion rate for leads? Yeah. So let me just offer a quick caveat to this website. You are going to see, if you come back here on a weekly basis, you will see small changes. We are constantly experimenting with this. And I've got a really great web developer who is also my data guy. So like we're crunching things all the time. And our CEO is extremely engaged on, hey, what if we test this? What if we try this? Like he's constantly giving us ideas. So we have a lot of really good brains working on this. One thing that we did was, in fact, we just request the demo button, that purple button at the top. That was one thing we just pushed out like a half an hour ago. So we're experimenting with, what if we put one thing on that page in that purple color and I can see some other purples that we got to go get off of there. And then we also give people the chance to go through our product-led growth motion, which is create an account. We also know on the back end, which of those choices give us more opportunity for winning. Who's higher conversion percentage, who is a higher dollar value. And so therefore we're trying to drive certain actions through the website. By the way, anybody who's watching this, you can go sign up for a free trial of capacity, try us out, workflows, all kinds of like AI backed tools in there. We're a, an automated help desk. So if you're trying to like deflect tickets and that kind of stuff, we're a really good option for that. Just get in and play with it. Strong squeeze page on here right now already. So I hit the create an account button mm -hmm. and literally there's one thing that I can do. I can type in a work email and I can go yep. forward. And it's the small things on here. If I click the logo, it doesn't take me back to the homepage. Mm -hmm. And so it's literally just pushing you forward. There's only essentially three links on here, terms and conditions, because you got to have it, privacy policy, because mm -hmm. you got to have it and a button that just says next. And other than that, it makes it basically just pushes you forward. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea. If you're coming and you're interested in signing up for a free account, we want to get you playing with the product as fast as possible. And once you're in there, there's some guided tutorials. There's some things to kind of help you get through it. But we are trying to reduce the time to value as quickly as possible, just so that you're having a good user experience and you're finding you've got a, a limited window in which your account is going to be live. And so we want to be sure that you're falling in love with us as quickly as possible. Yeah, the other thing that pops up on the bottom corner here, you know, the conversational marketing is a term coined by Drift as a company because they mm -hmm. created a chat and chatbot widget that connects with Salesforce or connects with HubSpot. Mm -hmm. What have you guys learned about having this on the bottom corner of your screen? Well, number one, that's ours. So that's another thing that we do. And we tie that chatbot into an internal knowledge base that we're also training on all of your company's tacit knowledge. So anything that your company knows and trains your AI knowledge base on, you can surface to your customers or not in your chatbot. So self-help becomes very, very simple. And anytime, we always like to say, if you're answering a question more than once, you're wasting time. Mm -hmm. So if you get a question you've never been asked before, all you have to do is answer that question, put the answer back in the knowledge base and the chatbot knows it. And you should never have to answer that question again. Yeah. 
The other thing that stands out to me is you scroll down mm -hmm. and what abundantly clear by this screen is you have large enterprise clients mm -hmm. and there are also small clients on here. And mm -hmm. so it doesn't automatically take somebody to the page and they go, oh, I can't afford this. This is going to be too expensive because it's only for the big guys. And at the same time, on the opposite side, if you are one of the companies that is a mature company, as soon as you scroll down, hey, the SOC 2 compliant, the HIPAA compliant, GDPR, CCPA, all the things that security and compliance team would be looking for throughout the procurement process and just the focus on social proof right away. That was a big driver from our CEO and also from our customer service team. They took on the task of soliciting great reviews from our customer base, and they just knocked it out of the park. They're really, really good. Our customer service team, I would put them against anybody. I'm constantly impressed with how hard they work, how dedicated they are to solving our customers' problems, and how creative they are at using our platform to solve problems they haven't come up with yet. It's really yeah. impressive. That makes a lot of sense. Now, something that I oftentimes hear from newer companies, especially companies that are startups is, gosh, it's going to take so much time for our SEO to really pay off mm -hmm. before we start getting consistent traffic. But oftentimes I hear from other companies is, so they'll say something along the lines of, yeah, but the lead quality that is going to come in through blogs, is just going to be worse than our paid acquisition, than our PPC mm -hmm. or from other channels which oftentimes is true, but it's a volume play. Like, What are the things when you separate out traffic that's coming in from PPC or traffic that's coming in organically to your homepage versus your blog? What are the strategies that you use on your blog pages to be able to drive lead collection and signups? Converting page onto a higher converting page. So we're trying to think in terms of the SEO pages aren't necessarily where they're going to come and then have a one-shot convert but we're starting them on an SEO page, which is highly visible, highly available. And then we want to get them into the core site quicker where they're more likely to convert. Or equally, if they're not going to convert and they're just looking for some transactional information, here you go. Here's your information. Be warm and well-fed. Please don't clog up our funnel. Yep. We don't want to convert bad traffic who's not in the market to buy stuff. Yeah, the things that stand out to me here, you have the sticky header, for mm -hmm. sure. It does not make sense for your sticky header to scroll up if the goal is to be able to get you over to a pricing page or over to a platform page. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the bottom section in the footer, there's got to be a massive call to action. Every single blog page, every single blog category page, every single page, as soon as you scroll down to the bottom, should mm -hmm. have a large section like this that either asks for your email address right there on the form or has a button that takes you to a squeeze page that same thing, asks for right. an email address. There's so much technology now that can plug into your CRM that really like the days of making somebody fill out seven or eight fields are mm -hmm. pretty much behind us because you can yeah. enrich that data and asking for that much information for somebody who discovered you through a blog really just dips your conversion rate and the last thing, I know you had a pop-up earlier that I dismissed, mm -hmm. but having that pop-up that shows up half 50% down the page or 30 seconds after a page loads, however it works best on your site. Anything else to share here before we jump on? The other thing that I'll mention is if you kind of go over to the left of your platform, the platform menu there at the top. Yeah, we've done a lot of work simplifying these. They used to be a lot longer. So we identified what are the industries that we really want to attract? Who is the business that we're doing really well with? And let's just start there. Let's simplify our message. 
So we're going down through and we're kind of condensing things as much as we can so that people can find themselves. If I'm coming to a website to buy an enterprise piece of software, I'm looking for me. I want to know how I'm going to solve my problem. Yep. I don't care how you're solving problems in other industries, frankly. So the more we can condense, 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 and then say like visitor, you're the star of this show. Tell us what you want to know. And then every time people click on things, we're watching what they're interested in. So we can go back and say, okay, well, I see that you came in looking for a contact center solution and you're interested in knowledge bases and chatbot on your website. So now we know when we finally get a conversation going with them, exactly what they've been trying to get. And we're in stride at that point. Yeah, that's a great point. The ability to be able to segment your web visitors, this basically gives them a flow that they can mm -hmm. actually go down that path and end up only seeing testimonials from people in their industry, or right. only seeing testimonials from people who work in a specific department, maybe within the exact same industry, if you have enough testimonials. But mm -hmm. I think it's a lot better to be able to show a person saying that something helped them from a finance perspective from a different industry than to show them same industry, but it's a marketing testimonial instead of a finance or a CFO perspective. You or know. it may be something that we like to call use cases too. How mm -hmm. are people using our product? Because you've got the industries or the solutions tab pulled up there. People might be in an insurance industry and somebody in a banking industry may have solved a similar problem that they were trying to solve. So right. even though it's not industry specific, there are still correlations between the problems that companies are trying to solve. And then once you get them into that problem, then, you know, obviously you have to speak about regulations and certifications and all of the kind of vertical specific stuff. But don't limit yourself just thinking about verticals. Think about ways that people would use your product and let industries inform each other and kind of advise each other in ways that maybe they hadn't thought of before. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much more powerful too, because for the sales team to be able to see where somebody went on the website, what they mm -hmm. were reading, what they spent time on, allows them to be able to then tailor that first conversation that they have with the prospect instead of going in blind and right. giving it a generic pitch. Yeah. Every time we get a lead that comes through the website, either through request a demo, which we call RADS, or an instant activation, we get an alert in Slack. And so whoever's following that channel in the company can see who came through, what was the email, what was the company name, how did all those things play out. Then there's another channel where we're collecting the content that they've consumed on their way through and you can go see, okay, they looked at knowledge bases and help desks, and we call it web concierge is the chat mm -hmm. box. They looked at concierge. So when somebody from the ISR team tries to do some outbound outreach with them, then you have a conversation right there. Hey, you signed up on a website. You appear to be interested in these things. I'm here to help. Anything I can walk you through, let me know. So you're really just, the more you're gathering and the more you're understanding your prospects and your visitors, the more you're setting your sales team up to catch them in stride and have that running conversation. And that's alignment. Now, also full disclosure, most of that backend work was happening when Capacity acquired Textile, my company. So these things were already happening. This is not me as a marketing genius constructing all this stuff. Our CEO was already working on this with the multiple teams around the company this is just the way that things have been working, but it really does create the avenues for information and work 
to happen where alignment can be a real part of it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Murph, it's been great having you on yeah. this episode. For somebody who wants to learn more about you or follow you, where's the best place to connect? Well, there's the link right there. LinkedIn is a good spot to do it. You can find me at Capacity. If you want to go down there and put in the chat bot, hey, I'm looking for Murph, that'll come through the system and somebody will, somebody <laughs> will get in touch. LinkedIn is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, but I'm around. I'm always happy to chat about the Zen of marketing or how to make things work. And I smile a lot and I can talk about the theory. Marketing is hard work. Getting people to work together and agree and collaborate and communicate, it's hard work. And I think if you don't have a passion for the human side of it, then don't worry about being a CMO. That's the work of a CMO, right? It's like getting people to work together. It's creating alignment. And it's possible to be every bit as happy just doing the work. Show up, execute, be a contributor. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, some of my favorite people are contributors. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Murph, thanks again. Yeah. Everybody watching, this has been Destination CMO. Thanks for joining us today. Wherever you're listening to this, make sure you like and subscribe. On this episode, we kind of shared a screen and went through a website as well. And so if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can check out that full-length video on LinkedIn or on YouTube. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. This has been Destination CMO, hosted by Vincent Famvan. Because marketing careers are often highly specialized and rarely linear, Destination CMO invites senior marketers to share stories and insights from their professional journey. If you liked this episode, join the community by following us on social media. We have links to all our platforms in the show notes. And join us next time for the most important stories in business and tech, explained through the lens of a senior marketer. Thanks for listening to Destination CMO. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.